0: Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson.
1: My friend Pepper Sweeney. We are here. <laughs> the most beautiful man in the world. Thank you very much. We
0: are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. All right. We're so excited that you guys are here. I can't tell you it's just, uh, you know, normally it's me in a tiny little room in my basement and Kurt in his office and Amy in her apartment and for us to be together is in the same room in the room where it happens is you know i i said to these guys today this weekend or these these couple days here really feel like a holy time for me and to be in the room where it happens with my good friends and then for you guys to be here is just off the charts So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you. Yeah, so we are in episode seven of season eight of the Being Known Podcast, and we have been talking about putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty, and how that affects our lives, uh, affects our friendships, affects our careers, affects our inner life, and all the things. And um, today we are gonna be talking about what is the beautiful story that you are telling?
1: Right. So many of you who follow the podcast will recognize that we tend to use this framework of these nine domains of integration. And we use that for a lot of our different, for a lot of our seasons. And it provides just a helpful model for us to think about all the different dimensions of whatever the particular season is about. And this season is no different. And this particular episode, we're focusing on this notion of who we are as storytellers. Hence this question of what is the beautiful story that you're telling. Mm. And this gets to the heart of this notion of what we call the narrative domain of integration, that we are, as as human creatures, we're storytellers like no other animal is. And we know this intuitively. We, On, a, on occasion, we will wake up and pay attention to this, but we're not always necessarily paying attention to it in ways in which we would imagine the story that we're telling is one of great beauty. But in this episode, we really want to highlight and invite us to pay attention to the fact that we are not only created to tell stories in beautiful ways, but that our life itself is intended to become one as we move forward. And, you know, the narrative domain, when we talk about this notion of attachment, the narrative domain is important when it comes to the development of secure attachment because... One of the ways that we think about attachment and how attachment works has to do with the nature of not only what is the story that i tell but how i tell it we can give lots of renditions of the facts and figures of our lives but the way that we tell our stories to other people who ask us these questions reveals a great deal about what our relational experiences have been like when we're younger and for many of us if someone were to say well tell me your story most of us wouldn't necessarily automatically assume that, oh my gosh, that's that's something that I want to imagine as something that's a beautiful artifact. That my story is emerging as something that is of great beauty, even in the face of the things that we bring even here into this room tonight that might feel anything but beautiful. And so that's why we really want to pay attention to this tonight.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about is that when I find myself, you don't tell, we don't tell our stories alone. And you know, we, you and I and Amy, we tell a lot of stories to each other, both on and off the air, right? And I find myself telling stories about myself in a certain way or telling stories in in a certain way because you guys are in the room with me. Right. And oftentimes you're prompting me Mm -hmm. to tell my story.
1: Right, right. So it it reminds us again of questions like, who are the people in our lives who are asking us really important questions, Mm. not just what time is it, not just what's your day like, but are asking us important questions about what's making you angry, what's hurt your feelings, what are the things that you're longing for, what are the things that you're afraid of? Who are the people who are asking the kinds of questions that prompt you to be curious about the kind of questions that you really want to answer, but you wouldn't know that if those people aren't asking those questions. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we talk about, about what happens in the psychotherapy consultation room is, you know, people wonder, about like, what, what goes on in those places? Wouldn't you like to know? If you'll pay me the money, well, I'll tell you <laughs> what, 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 yeah. what happens. One of the things that we like to say is that in, in a psychotherapy process, nothing actually happens in that room That isn't happening in real life. The one thing that is different is that we're explicit about what's happening in the room. We're actually telling the story about what we're thinking and feeling and imaging. We're telling the story about what I'm afraid of. We're telling the story about what I long for, about what I long to be healed. And in fact, there are parts of our stories that are being told by the ones who are listening to us in ways that we could never even have imagined those stories being told if somebody else isn't in the room. I mean, I think about the number of times that the three of us have had conversations in which one of us is coming to the other two with some part of our story that feels really broken. Some part of our story where we feel something that's off. We're angry, we're sad, we're hurt We're something. And the whole notion of imagining that we can move on from or get out of that space is really difficult until we've had our 10 minutes of whatever it is that we're going to unload on the other two that enables me to now imagine my day being very different because the two of you are in the middle of that story that literally 10 minutes ago I was only by myself in
0: and i got to say it's not even an, you don't even have to really go too far to imagine it because you know i know when this has happened for me when i've come to you guys and we've we've had these conversations i feel it i mm-hmm. physically i feel so different mm-hmm. after those conversations i feel lighter i feel braver mm-hmm. i feel, you know all the things that that you know i i'm not telling myself the the story that i'm telling myself and right. because partly because also you guys know what i'm you guys know that about me and so you're saying wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute right. and you're you're helping me tell a different story about myself in those moments
1: right so in terms of interpersonal neurobiology and some other areas of neuroscience we like to talk about this thing called co-regulation this notion that we become securely attached beings not because I am able to double down all by myself and control the emotional states of my mind that are really difficult, but because I have the experience of co-regulation that takes place between me and someone else. This starts at birth and it takes place throughout the rest of our lives that we are far more effective at regulating our affect and therefore widening. We like to say we widen the window of tolerance, our capacity to tolerate emotional distress, I'm able to do that more effectively because somebody else is in the room helping me to do that. And even then, if I have enough practice doing that, at some point, that person doesn't have to be in the room for me to be able to regulate my affect, but not because I'm by myself, but because Pepper and Amy are actually still in the room even after we're off the recording air together.
0: This was revolutionary to me, this idea of me being able to go into other rooms, rooms that maybe I have some anxiety about or some nervousness about, or some trepidation about. And I can imagine that my people, like Curt and Amy and others are with me, going with me in the room, they're for me, my people that are for me are with me, giving me more confidence and calmness as I walk into those kind of rooms. Right.
1: And many of us will, you know, we're, we're hearing us talk about this, and many of you know what this experience is like in your own life. And we think, oh, what we're doing is we are really just living our lives. We're kind of moving through our life. And yet, what I wanna highlight for us is that what we are doing, what you're doing in those moments is that you're actually creating something. From the time babies are born, they are making things in their mind, literally, neurally, with all those neural networks that are having to fire and figure out what they're gonna become as that infant learns that this is her hand. She has to learn that this, is, she doesn't know that this is her hand. She has to figure this out. And at some point then she learns that she likes the boy across the room in English class. And then she learns that she wants to go to Virginia Tech. And then she, and then all the things that we, that, but all of this, and or, you know, he learns that he, you know, thinks that his parents are completely unfair and they become more fair the older that he gets. All the things, that are all part of storytelling which are actually first and foremost all part of artistry because this all goes back to the very first page of the Bible many of us who've come here I know that there are people who here is from Virginia okay is there anybody here uh, who flew here to get here Oh, so we have a number of people who, who you've, you've come from a long way away to get here so You've had to burn energy to do this, and you come with all kinds of different stories. We come tonight. Some of us are coming with all kinds of joy and encouragement and enthusiasm. Some of us are coming, and we're anybody here tired? Right, we're tired. Like he's right. Yeah, who's the more likely to be tired? Okay. <laughs> and like, and this dude does orange theory, like, right, like eight days a week, right? And like, yeah. Stand up and show them. Come on. <laughs> okay. yeah, you're, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the thing is that we come with parts of our stories that feel chaotic, parts of our stories that feel like they're not very well tamed. And here's the thing. This is exactly what God is good at. He's good at hovering over chaotic things. And bringing order and purpose because he's been doing it from the very first page of the Bible. This is what he does. He does not come to our chaos, just like he did not come to the chaos of the creation. He does not come to chaos and go to war with it. Like the ancient stories of the Egyptians or the Sumerians or the Babylonians, the Hebrew God comes and hovers and then. He starts to make stuff. He's creating things. And that process of looking for chaos and then separating and giving order and purpose is what he's been doing from the beginning. And he didn't just do it on the first page of the Bible. The first page of the Bible sets the tone for what he's doing all the time. The challenge for us is that when you get to the third page of the Bible, when the world has begun to go to hell in a handbasket, one of the first things that happens is that people discover that I have to tell my story of trauma by myself. The wife and the husband are separate. They're separate from each other. They're separate from God. By the time you get to the fourth page of the Bible, you've got two sons, one who's going to murder the other. By the time you get to the sixth page of the Bible, you've got entire civilizations that are moving to kill other civilizations. This is who we are. We are chaotic waters, and God's coming to hover and to tell a very different story. But he can do this because he himself is not doing this alone. Let us make mankind in our image. Let us do this together. And then if we're made in God's image, we are actually called to tell our stories no matter how chaotic, no matter how traumatized they are. We're called to tell them in community that requires our own willingness to allow others to hover over my chaos and you to allow me to hover over yours and for us to do this work together.
0: And it is work. Dude. It's work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's rewarding work, it's necessary work. It's sometimes joyful work. But there's no getting around the fact that it's work.
1: Right. I mean, and this this I think, you know, we've got these four words. And in, in uh the book, The Soul of Desire, I write about that beauty has three attributes that we can easily identify that it leads us to wonder. It leads us to welcome and it leads us to worship that it is a wonder just captures our imagination, right? That it is welcome. It it, it doesn't, it doesn't just hold itself off. It like it invites you to like be present to it. And eventually it asks us to look through it to that, which we would ultimately worship. But in the course of our conversation, you were the one that's like, like, I think there's a fourth W involved and it's so true. And the W is work, Right. That, you know, you can be with beauty, but then like you've got to go like do the laundry, and then you've got to go do this, and then you've got to do that. And the thing is that like finding beauty in many many things takes a great deal of effort, and not only that, all the things that you have to do would make it very difficult for you to actually place yourself in the path of oncoming beauty on a regularly cadenced basis.
0: You know, Kurt. Since we've been where this is uh, episode seven of this series. And we have been very intentional about putting ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty, not just talking about it in the podcast, but doing it. And it does require work, but I have to say that the intentionality with which we've been doing this, these last several, you know, this last month or so has made it to be, the work is easier. It gets to be more natural. I mean, because in the beginning I wasn't paying attention to, it. I was sharing with you the other day that my wife and I were talking about how, you know, it's beautiful autumn where we live and we're both just so life is just so crazy chaos that we're not, we weren't even noticing it. Mm -hmm. But now I'm noticing beauty right now a lot more and I'm seeking more. I'm trying to find more and more and more. Right. Yeah. And
1: so I think it's fair to say that just being reminded again of those of us who were here and who were tired, we're not tired for no reason. Uh, we're tired because we're burning the candle at however many different ends your particular candle happens to have. And what that means is that it's really easy for us to say, you know, that's that's really great, Which, but this is why we end up putting beauty in a museum and why we cord it off and say, yes, I'll get to that sometime when I have time to do that because beauty is a luxury. And yet, if you think about it, if we were to say, well, we think it's a luxury, except if we were to extract... All the beauty that we are aware of from the material world, you would soon discover that about 99.9% of the material world would disappear. There's that much beauty around us, but we are moving at such a pace. And there's so much of me that is trying to regulate my distress that it's really difficult for me to then open up to it and be present to it. But one of the things that we find is if we are able and willing to do some of the exercises even that we've been talking about, that we begin to see and notice beauty in places and times in our lives that we otherwise wouldn't notice it. And sooner or later, we start to get nudged to being open to seeing beauty, even in places that we would not at first think are beautiful. This notion that when we allow ourselves to be in vulnerable communities, we talk at center being known in our practice, we've talked an awful lot about these confessional communities in which we do this work of being in vulnerable openness with each other. We're really allowing ourselves to be seen in ways that are not necessarily all that beautiful. We don't come in and present our paintings with all their glory. In fact, we come in and bring our artwork that is really like we would expect to be thrown onto the trash heap. And yet this work we do that we would call blasphemous. Right. This part of me that I don't want anybody else to see is the part that I would say is quite ugly. But other people take a look at it and begin to have a different vision for the story that I'm telling about myself in a way that I could never tell by myself until someone else is coming to tell it. And it's not just the part of me that I feel I need your support in. It's the part of me that I would never want you ever to see. The parts of me that I'm most ashamed of, including the parts of me that I'm most enraged. Anybody here mad tonight? Okay, so nobody's raising your hand, so somebody's lying. Okay, and with the amount of laughter, I'm guessing, like, maybe we're all lying, right? Because who in this room isn't angry about something? But, of course, I ask the question, who's angry? Like, we don't raise our hands because, like, we're not paying attention to it. And imagine how much energy you're burning to contain all the blasphemy that if you're in a space in which you're willing to be seen, soothed, safe, secure, someone else can see this as beauty that is waiting to
0: emerge. Sometimes those are the most beautiful parts. Sometimes. Right. Yeah.
1: So, there are some ways that we like to think in particular about, um, we, and we, we've given some examples already of what it means for us, just some practical, tactical things to do. I have a friend, Andy Crouch, who likes to begin his day, and he does not open up any device until he has stepped outside of his house and had some kind of an encounter with nature. And the encounter can be as simple as, if it's in the summertime, simple as walking in his yard in his bare feet. The encounter can be as simple as walking down the sidewalk and standing next to a tree, putting your hand on a tree. Now, I, granted, I, I, some of you have heard me encourage this exercise before. And, like, before you start wandering into your neighbor's yard—
0: In your you know, bathrobe.
1: In your bathrobe. <laughs> you, you know, you, you don't have to do that. But I'm saying that there are things that we can do that are simple and straightforward in which we begin to allow ourselves— to encounter nature in ways that will begin to change us, in ways that will actually begin to ground us, connect us even in our physicality to the material world. One of the things that we notice, this is for a different conversation, a different episode, a different series perhaps. One of the reasons why we have such a difficult time encountering the God of the Bible has to do with our disconnection from the material world. We are disconnected from the material world in terms of how we operate. We are driving our cars, we're operating our computers, and all the while, most of our psychic energy is spent living in a conscious awareness that is disconnected from what we're actually doing with our physical bodies. Even when we talk about theology, most of how we talk about and think about God, like we don't think about spiritual formation as having much to do with the tone of my voice. We don't think it has much to do with my body posture. We don't think it has. So there is this thing called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But all those things are abstract because I'm not actually connecting them to the material world, which is the only place, by the way, they ever actually exist. But as long as they are only figments of my imagination, I'm not really going to be transformed. Because as we say, until I sense something in my chest, I don't yet know that it's fully real. And beauty, for me to know that it's real, can't just be a thing I talk about. Mm. It must be a thing that I encounter in the material world. One way to do that is what we do with our encounter with nature. Another way that we can do that has to do with how we encounter that in the artistic expression of all kinds of different things of which we've been trying to list a number of things over the course of this season.
0: We have. Yeah. Uh, it, and that's been a, that's been a really fun thing. We've been talking about different art forms specific things and we are telling you a week in advance so the so that you know what it is and then next week you that following week you can spend time looking at that or experiencing that in whatever ways and then we talk about it the following week to bring it home yeah great
1: You know, you all may have heard Pepper and I took a trip to El Salvador and we have so much to share with you. In fact, in a future episode this season, Amy will interview Pepper and me about our trip. Pep, you remember Vanessa, the mother of the two little babies.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, we went to her house. Vanessa is a mother of four, two of which are twin babies. You know, we witnessed Vanessa and her husband going to great and I I mean great lengths to provide for their family. And the thing that I realized, you know, in the moment is they have the very same dreams and hopes for their kids as we have for ours. And what we discovered was that with the support of a Compassion sponsorship, it's possible for those dreams to be realized.
1: You know, Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we're so aware of the amazing work that they do. And one of the unique features about Compassion is that they work with the local church And what I love about this is that when help arrives, it arrives with a familiar face. We witnessed this impact firsthand in the way families experienced feeling seen, soothed, safe,
0: and secure. You know, we saw the need firsthand in El Salvador. Consequently, we are centering our efforts there. However, should you feel a call to sponsor a child in another part of the world, you'll have that option as well.
1: We as a community get to be part of this mission. We invite you to join us by sponsoring a child. $43 a month provides a child with all their basic needs and hope for a brighter future. Go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M forward slash K-N-O-W-N. And remember, $43 a month will literally change a child's life. Join us. One of the things that we then discover is that when we are allowing ourselves to have these encounters with artwork, we discover that the line between our spiritual life and our lived experience begins to become more blurry. We recognize that our spiritual life is a thing that we're actually doing with our bodies. We do it when we observe architecture. We do it when we listen to a piece of music. We become a different person because one of the things we like to remind our patients is that jesus is far more interested in who we are becoming than the benchmarks that we acquire he's far more interested in who we are becoming am i becoming a person of greater love joy peace patience kindness goodness no matter how long it takes me am i becoming living breathing pulsating forgiveness not just, have I forgiven this person or forgiven that person? Am I becoming this in the world? And I become what I pay attention to. Right. And if I'm paying attention to beauty, I begin to see it in spaces and times and places that I otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to see it. But if I'm not going to practice that, that I'm not going to see it even when it's perhaps staring me in the face, not least of which being when it stares me in the face of my enemy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's you know it, it's it's amazing how beauty has impacted my my inner life in the last few weeks. Just I've been spending a lot of you know since doing this this season I've I've been spending a lot of time listening to music that I hadn't listened to before or in a long time, beautiful music. I've been walking out in nature while listening to classical music and jazz and and it's it impacts everything. Mm-hmm. Everything, like my, my day is different because I've, I started that way. Right. It's been great.
1: And then the last thing I would want to say, just this, this notion of how we think about beauty in this abstract way. Okay. There's this thing called beauty. There's this topic. And then we think about beauty in terms of objects, right? There can be an experience that we, we see it in a sunset or we see it in a painting or we see it, in an oak tree, or we can see human beings and see a, a beautiful person, or we whether it's an adult or it's an infant or who it is might be. But for instance, we don't often imagine the first thing when we think about relationships. Do we think about relationships as being beautiful? Do I recognize that? Uh, imagine this. Okay, here, here here we take a poll. Okay, yeah, how many here uh, would say that you have anybody in your life? with whom or for whom, with whom you uh, currently hold a grudge. Oh man, dude, this is like, there's like so much business here for us, Courtney. I can't, I can't believe this. Okay. Our our staff from our practice is in the back, right? You you can just sign up with them right after, right right after we're done. Okay. Okay. So just, just for a moment, I just want you for a moment, imagine the person uh, with whom you're holding the grudge. I have a list, by the way, it's not just one. Now imagine how difficult, how easy would it be for you to imagine that when God is imagining your relationship with that person, that God is imagining beauty emerging. God's imagining, now I don't mean this in the abstract. Oh yes, theologically, yeah, yeah, fine, great. What, no, I mean like, and so imagine this now for a second. Imagine like, okay, if you were to ask, and I I have a list of people, and if if you were asking, well, Kurt, could you imagine beauty emerging between you and this person? I would say, no, and I like it that way. Because sometimes I enjoy my grudge that I hold. And so, yeah, here's a practice I've been uh, entering into. I'm I'm practicing imagining Jesus and me and this person at my kitchen table. Now, typically, it would be easy for me to think, like, oh, uh, next thing is I'm going to imagine Jesus, like, giving me an instruction as to how I'm supposed to interact with this person. But that's not what he begins to do. He says, Kurt, I want you to just watch me, and I'm going to interact with this person. And I want you to watch what I do. And I want you to watch how I, you listen to how I talk. And I want you to pay attention to how I'm paying attention to your enemy, to the person with whom you're really enjoying holding a grudge. And I want you to watch me. And I can tell you that there will be things that will be hard for me to imagine in terms of beauty emerging between me and that person, but that are impossible to resist seeing. When I watch the king, I have a conversation. And then I hear Jesus saying to me, and he said, now do what I do. Just follow my lead. Get in my wake. Come after me. You don't have to be perfect at that. This is not a benchmark for you to require. I want you to become me. And that I can imagine. That is where I can imagine beauty emerging. But I can't do this if I don't have somebody else in the room. Because I'm not able to do that kind of work of artistry. And it's in these spaces, the spaces where chaos is, where God is coming. He doesn't have to worry about doing work in the Garden of Eden. He's working in the wilderness. He's working where the chaos waters are. It's not those who are well who need the doctor. And so this is an intention for us to let beauty not just let it not just let us have it encounter it on its own terms, but to transform our relationships, because the beauty that we see in the material world, is just an echo of what is so much bigger and so much more real that is coming in the relational experiences that we have with each other not least of which being those with whom we would far more hold a
0: grudge. That's beautiful. I love that you're doing this. It's it's teaching me so much and I also love that you have a list. Mm. Right? And so that shows me that this isn't something that you can just Do and get over it and move on and you know, it it takes a while, right, right, right. And yet, I already know some things that have happened that have been successes and I don't know if that's the right word. I guess successes in in this that you have been able to to break through Mm -hmm. in some forgiveness areas with some things, and it's just been amazing to be a part of. To yeah,
1: right. Well, I'll just I'll just just one example. I'm not going to name the names, but like I've just in the last couple of weeks had one of these experiences in which a person with whom it was really difficult for me for a period of, for a couple of years,
0: Amy, I, we're not going to mention any names. We'll cut that out. Okay. Cut the, cut, cut, yeah.
1: But you know, I, I, I think Amy's really done, done great with me. I think, yes. I think it's just yeah. be great. And, and I, I, I was having a hard time. And in a conversation that I had with yep. Phyllis, with my wife, she invited me to reframe things. And I felt like, I was sitting with Phyllis at the kitchen table and this person with whom I was holding a grudge Mm -hmm. and Phyllis is asking me questions and then talking and I'm watching this conversation happen. And so again, I want to invite us to recognize what does it mean for us to have the experience of being known in order for us to imagine that you're the agent, like you're going to be the person of Jesus sitting at the table. And you're going to have the conversation with someone else while your friend watches you and your friend is going to be transformed because of your watching your some enabling somebody else to be known in a way that they can't do it yet on their own. And this is what we're doing here in this podcast. This is what we're doing in this conference that we are pushing the darkness further into the wilderness, expanding the boundaries of the garden. Because this is what we were made to do from the very first and second pages of the garden, of the Bible. And beauty puts us on that path to mm. become those kinds of people.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So I think it's time for us to talk about our artistic offering for this week. And this week we're going to be playing a song for you. Those of you who are listening to the podcast, you'll have to go find it yourself because we can't afford to play it for you on the podcast. But we're going to play it here live and then we'll we'll come back and talk about it. Rachel, are you ready to queue that up? This is a song by David Wilcox and it's called How Did I Find You Here. All right, ready? The night I fell in sorrow. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Actually, at the beginning of the song, there's just a very long pause. Yes.
0: So while you're looking for it, just let me know when you're ready. I'm going to read the lyrics to you. Okay? How Did You Find Me Here by David Wilcox. The night I fell in sorrow, I knew I was alone, a dozen good time friendships, but my heart is still unknown. I thought I saw your footsteps in the sand along the shore and I mumbled empty phrases that sang so well before. Now inches from the water about to disappear. I feel you behind me. How did you find me here? I couldn't reach for rescue. I hid myself from you. I couldn't stand to see me from your point of view. I knew I'd disappoint you if I showed you this child who's crying out inside me, lost in the wild. Now inches from the water, about to disappear, I feel you behind me. How did you find me here? I feel you behind me laughing in the water. Wash away the tears. I feel you behind me. How did you find me here? I feel you behind me, but how did you find me here?
1: You know, David Wilcox is, uh, many of you may know of his work and a story that I know about him was that he was invited by some friends of his who were running a camp in New York. And um, I get all choked up with this story. don't really. It's just my voice. And Wilcox has this really unique way of telling stories with his music, if some of you know his work. And he had been, come, he, he'd been invited to come and just do some performance work during this camp for some people who have disabilities. And uh, he just had this idea, and he went to his friends who were working at the camp, and he said, hey, you know, we've got some extra time in the afternoons. He said, just if people would want to come and, and hang out for 30 minutes at a, at a time, they could just come and I might be able to, you know, do, do, some, do some work with him. And, and, and he's just kind of just going to play some music for these people that would come. And it turns out what he began to do would that he would come. He would have people come. And they would he'd say, like, I'm going to give you about uh, five to ten minutes. And I want you to tell me something about your story. And they'd take five to ten minutes. And on the spot, he would compose, write, sing, play a song for them that was about their story. And he would record this and then give it to them. And the next person would come, and he would just do this over and over and over and over again. Now, not all of us are David Wilcox, but I want to invite us to consider that what he is doing is he's helping each of those people tell their story differently. And he's telling the story differently because beauty is infusing it because of things that he can see that the people who were telling the story initially can't yet see. He's imagining something for them while... Their imaginations are waiting and trying to catch up, which is what we are being invited to do every time we invite someone in to allow them to be known by us. And this is what beauty invites all of us to do.
0: It's interesting that you say that, Kurt. This song, uh, you introduced me to this song, and um, I've listened to it quite a lot, like quite a lot. And there's something about this song that invites me in. And a lot of his work he has a certain quality that it's going to sound corny, but it, it almost, it almost feels like home to me. And, and this song to me, I mean, it's, it's, it's so obviously a journey, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he starts off the night he he fell in sorrow. He knew he was alone and he ends up laughing in the water, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And the story I can, I, I, it, it, it's, it's visual. Mm It's, it's, you know, I tear up when I when I hear this song, so it's physical, and it's emotional. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a it's an impactful it's song things, for me. It's yeah. all the things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did you have something you wanted to that, say? Did it
2: look like it. Yeah. Was, okay, so I have to start with the emergence part, like when Kurt you said our stories are emerging, mm-hmm. and I didn't have words for it, but I found the emerging part quite annoying, and I was. I, I want to reach the benchmark, and then I'll enjoy mm, Right, But right. see, now, I mean, with a greater, more understanding. So this emergence is a relief because right. it's like, okay, it is the process. And I will say, like, okay, season two, we talked about the nine domains of integration. Yep. And we have talked about it in every season. And there's an awareness that emerges mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. And it's vulnerable because you have to let it unfold. You can't just know it. And so, like, the podcast, things emerging. And then this season in particular with Beauty and Encountering Beauty, like, hearing this song, I've listened to it. You also introduced me to it. I've listened to it many times. And it's lovely, and it I've responded to it. But then I heard the line... When he said, I couldn't reach for rescue, mm, mm, mm. Mm. I hid myself from you. I couldn't stand to see me from your point of view. I knew I'd disappoint you. So you find that emerged as I put myself. You say, mm. if we put ourselves in front of it, it will reveal more about it and about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like then we, that's, I had a huge, like I was sensing a whole bunch of things. And then all I can just sense them.
0: Yeah.
1: Right.
2: And so it's, our stories are emerging and that is the beautiful
1: thing. Right. Well, I I think you, you point something out that's really striking for those of you. How many counselors do we have in there? Counselors, therapists do we have in the room. I know we've got a whole back row of them, right? Okay. So we have, we have a number of folks that are in the room. And for those of you who are, who are taking care of patients, like you, you know, that when people come at first, uh, the more desperate they are, the more urgent, they feel the need for immediate relief Mm -hmm. the more we feel like we need to have this resolved the more desperate I am the more broken I am the more I tend to think about my life as a benchmark the more I tend to think about this as a thing that has to be acquired I have to get to a certain point where I no longer am depressed. I no longer have panic attacks. I no longer have, whatever the thing is that, that I, I, I no longer am human because like so then, then my humanity will be taken care of and I won't have any more trouble with that, but the challenge, of course, as, as we say, when someone, people come to me and they say like, well, Kurt, um, how, how, like on the very first session, uh, how long is this gonna take, right? When, or, or like some version of like, when will I know that this is done? Right. And I will say to them, you'll know that you're getting close to the end of the work. When you've learned to love the work, and they look at me and like, "Wait a minute, doesn't that just mean more sessions with you if I love to do the work and I said, "Brilliant, isn't it <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, i I don't say it quite like that, but i'm i'm yeah. but I do think it's kind of brilliant but This is the thing, you know, as Dallas Willard once asked by the psychology team, his wife was a psychologist and she would bring him in to talk. For those of you who know Dallas Willard would bring him to to talk with some of these therapists about it. And they would say, well, from a philosophical perspective, like what's your take on what it is that we're doing? He said, you're loving them. They're coming to your clinic in order for you to love them. And this is what we're doing. We and 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 we we like to say in our in our work that like look, we're we're pretty disabled as human beings. We're not very good at a lot of things. One of those things is we're not very good at loving other people, right? We're not very good at that. But we're even more disabled at being able to allow ourselves to be loved as it turns out. And so I'm sitting here with symptoms and I just want you to fix them. Right? The whole notion of emergence, the whole notion of oh, I need to get better at letting you love me. Is like, it's not even on my radar that that's a possibility until there is enough of that experience in which I learn, oh my gosh, it's less about getting rid of all the symptoms and more of getting more of you into my life and me into yours. This notion of us being seen and soothed and safe and secure, being loved more and more so.
0: Yeah. That's great. So next week... We are going to be doing an episode entitled Surprised by Beauty. And for the artistic offering of next week, what we'd like you to do is be aware of times throughout this week where you are surprised by beauty. Write it down and think about it. I'm going to share a little bit about just an example of it. I was down at uh, St. Simon's Island off the coast of Georgia and my son wanted to take me on a trip over to Jekyll Island because he wanted to show me something, but he didn't tell me what it was. And so my, my mother was with me, my wife, my, my girls, we were all there and we, we, we drive over there and we go to this beach and we walk out to the beach and we're on a beach called driftwood beach. And if you want to see pictures that I took on driftwood beach, you can go to our website, which is what Amy being known podcast.com and look under the episode eight picture and there'll be a link there. We'll also put a link in the show notes for you. But it was absolutely beautiful and I was completely surprised by it. And there are often times that we are surprised there are not often times where we are surprised where we're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And right. so this next week, I really want you to pay attention to all the times that you're surprised by beauty, and we'll be talking about that next week.
1: And I would, I would invite you to add one little uh, element to that, and that is, in what way, as you're surprised by beauty, how does that, if you'll notice, like, oh, I just got by surprised by beauty, what, what was the story I was just telling about myself, about my life, about my day, about the person that I'm enjoying holding the grudge against? What was the story that I was telling, and how has the story shifted? because beauty has now entered the picture and begun to write something in the narrative that before wasn't even imagined by me.
0: Yeah. Well listen. Are you listening?
1: <laughs> They're still taking notes from what yes. you just told them to do. Right.
0: I just want to again thank you all for being here tonight. I mean it's I it's it's just really amazing to have you in the room with us. Uh, honestly, it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Kurt, I love you.
1: I man. I love
0: yeah. you.
1: Until next week. Until next week. And now,
2: are you excited about? Oh wait, what's? Oh, the giveaways. Oh yes. 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 We have
0: to end the podcast <laughs> like, first.
2: We, we have to go the podcast first.
1: Oh, for those rap, of you yeah. who are listening to the recorded podcast, like, too bad because <laughs> we have some you really
2: be fun here, stuff
1: like, because we're like, giving away year. prizes. It <laughs> kind of, it kind of, it kind of sucks to be you because yes. You're, because like we got giveaway prizes we, for the people. We have really we got, good we got, prizes. We giveaway prizes for the people right. who actually showed up for the live yes. podcast recording.
0: Listen, we've got prizes. I've got two books are part of the prizes, and both the best-selling authors, books by Pepper the, Sweeney. Both the authors the are book. in the room, and they probably sign them for you. So anyway, all
2: right. Did we close it? We usually close. Are we
0: closed? Next Still next week.
2: Love you guys. Until next
0: week. Love you guys. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you don't. You say it like okay. that.
1: Okay. Okay, <laughs> who's more likely who's more likely to love the other one more than the other?
2: This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Science. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends and please like rate and review be well be no.